0: Welcome to Podland, the last word in podcasting news. It's the 10th of February 2022. I'm James Cridland, the editor of podnews.net. And I'm Sam Sethi, the MD of
1: River Radio, the podcast first radio station,
2: going live on DAB, James.
1: Hi, my name is Gigi, and I'm here to talk about Bitcoin, Lightning, Podcasting 2.0, and Value for Value. Hi, I'm Oscar Mary from Fountain.fm,
3: and later I'll be on talking about our new podcaster Wallet feature, which allows any podcast to get set up on the Bitcoin Lightning Network in just a few clicks.
4: Hi, I'm Stuart Townsend, CMO and co-founder of Podcast Hall. I'll be on later on to talk about how we can help you automate the process of getting booked on podcasts.
5: And I'm Evo Terra. I'll be on later to talk about my Hall of Fame induction. Woohoo!
4: They will. Podland is sponsored by
0: Buzzsprout. Podcast hosting made easy. Last week, 4,401 people started hosting with Buzzsprout. You can too at buzzsprout.com. And if you can use chapters in your podcast
2: app, then Buzzsprout supports those too. Now, over Christmas, James, I decided to read about Web3, get my head around Bitcoin and sats. And on Twitter, there was a, a handle called DGG. And he was writing some really interesting stuff about booster grams and adding that to the timeline of a podcast player. He showed a, a graphic mock-up. And he's written a book called 21 Lessons That I Learned Falling Down the Bitcoin Rabbit Hole. So I bought the book. And it was really interesting. It was a backgrounder into how Bitcoin is now changing the way that we use money online. In fact, he called it, Bitcoin is the native currency of the internet. He went on to say, not only is our fiat money broken, but the monetization model of the internet is broken too. The advertising-based platforms of this day and age optimize for engagement via division and polarization, using dark patterns and addiction by design. It won't be easy to break out of the compulsion loops that are set up for us. But thanks to the self-sovereign tech stack that is currently emerging, there is a viable alternative, the value for value model. So all of that together, his conversation about that, his book, and his thoughts on the attention economy. I thought I'd reach out to him and we got an interview with him. I came across Gigi over Christmas. You wrote a, a wonderful essay about the attention economy and micropayments. Gigi, hello, how are you?
1: Hey, Sam. I'm doing very well. Thanks a lot for having me.
2: Now, you wrote this blog post called The Freedom of Value. It's got a lot of attention, no pun intended, and it was about the attention economy and micropayments. What made you write it?
1: a lot of things actually so i think we can all agree that the internet could be better i don't want to say that the internet is broken but some parts of the internet are broken and i think a lot of it has to do with the way that payments work online i try to lay out why we are at the current iteration of the internet how we pay for things online and i also describe the the problem of selling information in the first place so trying to sell a good that is non scarce like trying to sell an image that, that you can mm-hmm. just copy and paste online, is a, a, a very tricky problem. And so I think we have to think about these things differently a little bit. And this is what this essay is about.
2: So what is the attention economy? Explain that to me first.
1: Basically, everyone got used to the current situation that we find ourselves in, namely that everything is free online and you can <laughs> just read and consume stuff without paying for it directly. And so you pay with it for other means and you pay by either being the product yourself or by being forced to watch a lot of advertisements. And of course, like everyone knows that data is the new oil and we are all being harvested by Google and Facebook and Amazon and the rest of it. And so the name of the game is just getting the most few time and the most eyeballs possible. And we all know these kind of problems. I, I think one great counter movement to that is long-form podcasting, so I'm very happy that, that this is happening. but it's sometimes suffering a bit from the similar problems that the written content suffers from that every everything devolves into sound bites and clickbait and you just try to get the attention of as many people as possible. I, I use this as one of the main examples to show where this leads and, and how bad the end result can get. I use TikTok as one of the cursed apps, like it, <laughs> it really finds out what you like and then it feeds you crack cocaine. It really like it uses AI to figure out what you like and then it, it, it feeds you the shortest snippets it can and gets you really addicted really quickly. And that's also why it's so successful. And I think it, it all has to do with how information is monetized online. And I'm interested in exploring alternatives to, the, to that model. And so, The alternative model is adding
2: in micropayments. Now, Mark Andreessen at Netscape said when he created the Netscape browser, one of his biggest regrets was not building in a micropayment system at that point. We're talking several decades ago now, and Mark Zuckerberg tried to build a micropayment system called Libra. Uh, thankfully, that didn't succeed, but we now have a new micropayment system, don't we? It's based around Bitcoin using something called Satoshis or SATs. Can you tell me more about what is this new micropayment system?
1: It's difficult to understand because you have to parse everything apart. Why do payments work the way they work currently like why do credits card work and how do they work and and you have to understand money first and foremost like what money is and and what its purpose is in society and the difference between money and the currency and also the the monetary base and and the payments like visa and mastercard for example are are payment rails and historically, until 1971, we were on a gold standard. So you had gold that was the, the base reality of money, of the, of the money that the world used, basically. And we were trading paper certificates, and, and that was a sort of payment system on top of gold. And very similar, we now have… Like The, the problem with gold is, and with traditional monies, <laughs> is that they just don't work online. Like mm-hmm. you, you cannot send a gold bar via an email, it just doesn't work. So everyone understands it. And, and this is a very hard problem, and Bitcoin solved this problem. And the problem with bitcoin is though that it it is not very suitable for high frequency micropayments so what we currently have with podcasting 2.0 and if, if your listeners don't um know what podcasting 2.0 is about i recommend uh, checking it out and uh, looking into the work of adam curry in in particular he he understood very early on that now we have a way to send value online in a micropayment fashion, so that you can do it in a very fine-grained way. Every minute you listen to a podcast, you can choose to stream Satoshi, to stream small fractions of the Bitcoin to the podcast ho- host, however it is configured, basically. And so what we have now is, we have a new kind of money that works exclusively in the information space. So it's not a physical thing. Bitcoin is not a physical thing, you know, like you can't touch it, you can't hold it in your hand, Mm -hmm. but it is money and it has all the characteristics of good money, just like gold. It's very much what gold used to be in the physical space. Bitcoin is in the information space. And with the Lightning Network, which is basically a payment solution, very similar to Venmo and PayPal and Visa and MasterCard. these, These are payment solutions on top of the existing monetary system. And for Bitcoin, the payment solution that is currently being used and that works and scales really well is the Lightning Network. And so, what Podcasting 2.0 does, it combines all these things that it it realizes that selling information, selling something that is non scarce, is an impossible problem. So, you have to turn the problem on its head. It's like, here's my podcast, here's my blog post, here is what I have to offer. Mm -hmm. And if you like it, you give value back. This is the, the, the core of the value for value model. So, if you enjoy the content you can set up your apps and this like you don't have to even think about it basically you can set it up that i really enjoy this podcast every time i listen to it i stream satoshis i I give bitcoin back to the people that that make it happen and so it solves a, a couple of problems that we currently have online you know like that paywalls don't work if something is really good we see this all the time with pirated movies and those kind of things if the movie is really good it's really easy to to download if an article is really good someone will take a screenshot and will circulate it on social media or send it around in, in messengers and so on or grab it in some other way someone pays the paywall and then you you copy and paste the whole thing and that's it the article is free so the main thesis that i also lay out in the article is since information wants to be free and information can always be copied at zero marginal cost don't even try to the cage around it don't try to sell information like it was an apple don't try to sell information like it was a digital good you have to think about it differently and this is where the value for value model comes in all of it is very new and we still have as a podcasting community for example and as a society in general figure out what works and what doesn't and as you can probably tell i'm terribly excited about this because it already works and some people that already can live off of this model and it works for everyone because it's an open protocol just like rss just like podcasting like there are no gatekeepers everyone can just create this set this up and it's a beautiful system really and i really hope that we can turn this ship around like current turn turn, <laughs> turn the internet on its head so to speak and offer more value to those that produce content to those that enjoy good high quality content and cut out the middlemen which are the the platforms the advertisers and so on because with those kind of middlemen there are all kinds of problems that immediately enter the picture you run into censorship issues you you run into all kinds of issues if someone has a way to close down your accounts or the platform you on a long enough time scale this will usually happen
2: it will joe rogan is seeing that this weekend with spotify but so yeah. going back to it, it as you said let's focus back now on podcasting and and value for value we've termed these in podcasting boostergrams, and what they are from my understanding is the ability to be able to leave a comment along with a micro payment to the creator so the listener can feedback on what they think of the podcast but also give them some micro reward as well one thing i noted was that you did a really interesting mock-up on twitter you showed a podcast player with Boostergrams along the timeline. Tell me more about that.
1: So the main idea is that once someone sends this Boostergram, because a payment is is attached to it, and and just maybe since this is so new, I I assume most people are not familiar with this. So the the idea is that you have two ways to give back in value for value. First and foremost, uh, the things that we already discussed that you can set up your podcast app completely voluntary, of course. So, like you can listen to the podcast uh, without giving back as well. But let's say you have a little bit of money in in your podcasting app, and then you can set it up that so like a fraction of the penny is, is streamed every minute, and this is just like a, a baseline <laughs> that that you give back. And if you really like something, those new apps they have what are called boost buttons uh, where you can send a boost. And you can think of it as clapping and, and, and throwing a, a couple more coins into the hat. In the article, I, I used the busking analogy like a street performer. If you really like something, you, you just throw something in extra. And what's so interesting about the boosts is, and also about the streamed payments, is a real signal. And as everyone knows in the podcasting world, like all the measurements that are being used to pitch to advertisers, for example, is like, I have so many downloads and I have this and that and those kind of metrics and so on. A lot of it is nonsense because you have so many podcatching apps that just download all the feeds all the time (laughs) five times over so it's nonsensical to use these kind of metrics and we have this the same issues online that there are some people like myself that block out all the tracking and block out all those things and uh, so we don't even show up and all these metrics can be gamed, of course as well but if someone decides to give you money, it's a very strong signal. Like It's really a, a pristine, high-quality signal that these are real users, these are not bots, <laughs> because <laughs> a bot army will not give you money. That's not how it works. And it was really engaging, and it, it provided value to them, and so on. So it, it's a direct signal. And that's where this idea of the visualization came from as well, where imagine if you have your, not only a visualis- visualization, some people might know it from YouTube, for example, where you can see what parts of the video are being watched, And so it's the same idea basically, but it's not the eyeballs that you track, but it's the the true value flows that you track. When people press the boost button and how much do they give and those kind of things. And the interesting thing about Bitcoin and the Lightning Network is that there is no middleman. It's a censorship resistant payment mechanism. And you have the technical possibility to add a small short text message with a payment. And, And so this is being used slash abused to build a a feedback mechanism for the value-enabled podcast where you can send a short gram, a short message to the podcaster. And uh, this is something that we explored as well with the the things that we are working on and the tools that we are building. What fun ideas can you think of? What can you add in this message? And and how will people use this? And all of this is currently being explored by the people at the forefront.
2: So one of the things I noticed before Jack Dorsey left Twitter was that In the Twitter client, he's enabled a micropayment system using Bitcoin and Sat. So if you go to the podcastindex.org Twitter account, you'll see a currency icon. When you click on it, it allows you to pay Dave Jones and Adam Curry, if you so wish, Satoshis for their tweets, which is great. Now, it isn't common knowledge and most people aren't using it yet. And one of the biggest problems that most of the podcast apps have like Fountain and Kastos, you can't easily set up a wallet. So what I'm trying to say is it feels like there's stuff going on. So the value for value, the stuff that's going on with Boostergrams, the Lightning Network, the stuff on Twitter. But I think one of our biggest problems as an industry is that it's still complex, isn't it? It's still, which wallet should I use? How do I set up a wallet? Where do I put my fiat currency? Which wallet can I trust? How much should I pay? Where are you in your head with
1: how we address those problems? That's a good question. And you're definitely right that it's a little bit Confusing in the beginning, and it's very much. Do you know those like news clips from the early '90s when no one knew what the internet was and what this symbol and what yep. is the uh, W? And so that's where we are at currently with Bitcoin. No one really understands it, and it's still a bit clunky and weird to use. But I can uh, encourage everyone to just give it a try because there are some wallets that are super user friendly already. Like Wallet of Satoshi, for example, is is uh, one that's super easy to set up. Breeze is another one that I really like. I, I view bitcoin as the native currency of the internet and if you want to do something online in the future you will have to have this currency i see myself as mostly living online so bitcoin is my base currency
2: what do you think the timeline will be before this complexity becomes simplicity because my favorite expression is complexity is failed simplicity and where we are right now is we're in the complexity people most people would struggle if they had to understand how to set up a wallet and how to buy SATs and how to then make the payment. So, and certainly the invoice thing is certainly confusing. How do you think we're going to make this a much simpler, easier to understand platform?
1: I think we are very close. I think we're almost there. In the podcasting 2.0 apps, for example, you will never see an invoice, basically. Everything is abstracted. You press the boost button and it just made a payment without a middleman, which flies across borders and is virtually free and basically instant. And um, for me as a Bitcoiner, The regular fiat world is where the complexity lies. I can recommend uh, the book that I wrote to get a broad overview, which is called 21 Lessons. It's available online for free, so you can just read it without buying the the cat in the and i i run everything that i do on a value for value basis all the things that i do are free available online and of course like for physical books you can't copy and paste physical books yet (laughs) so you you have to sell them in the old-fashioned way but everything else i give away for free online and if you like it it's it's very easy to give back if you happen to have uh, a couple of satoshis to your name if you have uh, a little bit of bitcoin and in general, in Bitcoin, there are a couple of great books already now. So a couple of years ago, there were zero books on Bitcoin, and now there's like a good dozen or two. And usually, if you really want to dig down into the question of what is money and the history of money, and why do we need Bitcoin in the first place, the Bitcoin standard is often recommended. There's also The Bullish Case for Bitcoin, which is a great book. If you want to look again in the money side and in the answering the question, how this might play out in the next couple of years and decades ahead. In terms of the lightning and payment side of things and the podcasting 2.0 side of things, this is so new there are no books about this yet basically. There's one single lightning book which is very technical so it's mostly for programmers I would say. I think it's called Mastering the Lightning Network. You can also read this online for free like it's on GitHub. If you don't know what GitHub is, this book is not for you. <laughs> and so what I would recommend if you're interested in podcasting 2.0 is look into the work of Adam Curry like he he is champion uh, a lot of that stuff and just play around with it. Some great new value enabled podcasting apps. You can see a list on newpodcastingapps.com and also on the podcast index, you can see all the different kinds of podcasts that are value-enabled and that use their value for value model. And there are, you know, like it started out uh, very humbly. There was like five podcasts that that used this stuff and now it's in the the hundreds or maybe a thousand plus. And so just play around with it. Again, it might be intimidating at first, but don't be afraid. Buy like five dollars worth of Bitcoin and play around with some new podcasting apps. And there's a lot of fun to be had still. I'm gg on Twitter and also there gg.com is where all my long form writing is. I helped to start a podcast as well uh, called Closing the Loop where we discuss a lot of the things that we discussed today and uh, also the last episode where I was on talked a lot about the value for value model might be an interesting follow-up to this conversation. And again, bitcoinresources.com if you're interested in bitcoin, 21lessons.com if you want to get a broad overview of what this all is about and where it might lead. And that's basically it. Thanks a lot for having me. That was a lot of fun.
0: Gigi, And uh, really interesting. And I hear you talking about the Cash App not working yet and Fountain being really hard. And there's been news on that, hasn't there?
2: Yeah, really exciting. This week, Jack Dorsey, who owns Cash App, formerly of Twitter, has now announced that the Lightning Network integrates with Twitter via the Cash App. Of course, I tried it. Now, anyone who wants to try this can. If you go on your a mobile app to the podcast index Twitter account, you'll see a little dollar icon at the top. And when you click on it, it'll bring up Bitcoin and Satoshis as a mechanism of payment. So instead of giving them a, a retweet or a heart, you can now actually give them cash in the form of Satoshis. Mm. Last week or the week before when I then clicked open my wallet, nothing happened. It didn't click through to anything. Mm. It just came up with a screen saying custodial or non-custodial wallet. But this week, now that the Cash App's on Lightning, when you click it, it opens up your Cash App and instantly you can make a payment.
0: That's very smart. Uh, Cash App is available in the US and the UK only. So obviously I can't play with it, but it sounds as if it's pretty cool. I think you can send me and indeed pod news and Bitcoin through Twitter. There's a little button on uh, our profiles, but uh, we can't use cash app. So it goes direct to my Emerald instead, which is probably a fine thing. In fact, I think the only thing you can do for me because I'm in Australia is you can send me Bitcoin, but you can't send me sats over the Lightning Network, which is a bit of a shame. But yeah, interesting hearing that that has moved on uh, a little bit. And and also
2: interesting seeing how many people are using it. A lot of people using it, but one person decided to give a single Bitcoin, 100 million sats, to Cinemuck, the people behind the movie Human Bee. That's a hell of a payment. It is. How much is
0: a Bitcoin worth these days?
2: I'm not sure. What, 40-odd thousand dollars?
0: Yeah, it's a sensible amount. Let's find out. How much is a Bitcoin worth? It's worth $44,261 as we record this. So yes, very nice. So there was that exciting news about uh, Cash App. And you also said that Fountain App, it was all too complicated and blah, blah, blah. And there's been some movement on that too, hasn't there?
2: Yeah, so Oscar Merry, friend of the show, he announced only this week that his podcast app Fountain has launched a full podcaster wallet, making it the easiest way to earn Bitcoin from your podcast app all you have to do is search for your podcast claim it in the app and you can now monitor how much you earn see messages uh, it's really simple so oscar gave me a quick demo and i caught up with him to talk about it i'm here with oscar mary the founder and ceo of the wonderful fountain app oscar you've got some big news to tell us what's happened
3: so we have announced and just launched our Fountain Podcaster wallet. Now, what this does is it enables any podcaster out there to start receiving Bitcoin from their listeners through the value for value model that Adam and Dave from Podcast Index have set up in just a couple of clicks on Fountain. So what we've done is we've made it really easy just to quickly claim your podcast on Fountain. We'll set you up with a Bitcoin Lightning wallet and we'll update your what's called value block in podcast index, which means that just after those two clicks within Fountain, you'll be able to start receiving Bitcoin Lightning payments from your listeners from any podcasting 2.0 enabled.
2: Great. Now, does that mean once I've got Satoshis in my wallet, can I export them anywhere?
3: Yeah, so you can... um, withdraw them to any Bitcoin Lightning wallet. We've just seen Cash App in the US announce that they've rolled out Lightning to all of their users so you can export to Cash App if you want or any of your other Bitcoin Lightning wallets.
2: Now, you've been testing clearly with with creators. What's the feedback?
3: The feedback's been great. I think one of the interesting things that we've found over the past six months, one of the reasons that we wanted to actually build this product for podcasters is that there's a lot of podcasts out there that actually do have the ability to receive Bitcoin Lightning payments, and they're receiving the payments, but they're not necessarily receiving all of the amazing data that goes along with that. And that's actually one of the most exciting things about this feature. So within the Fountain Podcaster wallet, you will be able to see not only the list of incoming transactions, but you'll be able to see a summary of which users are supporting you the most over time. And this is not just users on Fountain. This is users supporting you from any other podcasting 2.0 app. You'll also be able to see which episodes have brought in the most. And this is a great feedback mechanism for you. So you can see this episode was really good, or maybe the way that I asked for value back in this episode was actually worked really well. I'm going to, I'm going to go with that script. Again, what else have we got? Obviously, we've got all of the incoming messages as well, so that you can just quickly view them and then use them as part of your show format um, going forward. So we really wanted to make it just really easy to have all of the data from value for value just in one place where you can access it.
2: Brilliant, Congratulations. Now, one of the things that people may not know, there's two forms of wallet, one's a non-custodial and one's a custodial. This is a custodial wallet, which means that you are holding the wallet, correct?
3: That's right. Right now it is a custodial wallet, but we're working on ways that we can extend that to at least have the non-custodial option for podcasters that want to take it to that next level. And there's some really exciting things happening. With the lightning network that should hopefully give us that ability further down the line but right now yeah it is a custodial
2: now that's brilliant for creators now looking at the side of users obviously people who use the fountain app can put their wallet in and then start to reward creators with sas do you have any plans to integrate with cash app or do you have plans to create a user enabled wallet locally
3: so in terms of cash app any person in the US can already send Lightning from Cash App into Fountain really easily. That works today. Obviously, the Lightning within Cash App is not available in the UK. I think probably we won't end up offering the kind of fiat on-ramp or the ability to buy Bitcoin or Lightning because that's fundamentally a bit of a different business model and comes with a lot of regulation. So we probably will just stick with allowing people to send their Bitcoin on Lightning into Fountain. I think the great thing that Cash App shows us is that this is not just Fountain and Podcasting 2.0 talking about Bitcoin and Lightning. This is happening globally. This is every digital finance app that wants to survive over the next five years is going to have to do this. So I think for any podcasters out there that have been maybe hesitant about this, I think that's a great signal to show you that this is around and is the best technology for the job fundamentally? There's no other payments technology that allows you to stream micro payments per minute. It just doesn't exist.
2: There was a crazy one. Somebody's given a 100 million sats to this film called Cinemuck, a movie that is just coming out.
3: So that'll be one Bitcoin, but it's around £30,000.
2: Now, going forward, what else do you have in mind? When we first spoke, probably. About six months ago, it was all interesting ideas and stuff. Uh, And every time we speak or every time the market looks forward, we're beginning to move all those difficult, geeky things out of the way. So what do you think is the barrier now for mass adoption?
3: That's a great question. I think there's two things that are limiting the growth of value for value. I think the first is just making that initial onboarding easier. So I think Cash App has made a giant leap forward in the US market. I think suddenly you've got 60 million people that are aware of lightning and have a lightning wallet on their phone. I think internationally, though, we still don't have those big players that are offering that, but I think that will come naturally over the next uh, year or so. So I'm pretty uh, optimistic that we'll solve that. The second thing that I think is limiting value for value is just the education around How do you talk about it on your podcast? How do you explain what value for value is? How do you ask your listeners to send you? uh, Do you make it part of your show format? Like I know you guys do the Boostergram corner. That's one way of doing it. You could ask at the beginning of the show. You could ask at the end of the show. You could do a special roundup episode at the end of each month. We're just starting to figure out the different options. And I think that's a really important piece because fundamentally, it's not enough as a podcaster to value enable your podcast. You actually have to talk about it on your show. You have to talk yeah. about it regularly in order to get people supporting. They will support if you ask them, but it takes time.
2: Do you see a point, because now you've got the analytics about who your superfans are? Do you see a point where the creator, because it's called value for value, it's a two way street, gives sats back to the superfan?
3: Definitely. I don't see why not. I think the really cool thing about Bitcoin and Lightning is that there's no limits to what we can do. We can be completely creative because at the end of the day, it's just programmable money. So I'm really excited to see what we can do along those lines. I think we're still at the first stage though. That's why we've launched the Podcaster Wallet because hopefully now maybe there's podcasters out there that have thought about doing this. But maybe they've been a bit put off by having to run their own lightning node or some of the other options that are out there. Now, if you're a podcaster, you can just set this up with two clicks within Fountain and you can start experimenting. So I think we've got to uh, get as many podcasters on board as possible because the more podcasters that are doing this, the more examples we'll see of the best way to integrate it into the show. I'm really excited to see what people do with that.
2: I agree. And I think also the thing that you mentioned, Cash App, So when I go to my Twitter account and I go to the podcast index account on Twitter, they have got a little dollar sign icon. When you click on it, it brings up a pop-up for cash, Satoshis or Bitcoin. And in the past that would just ask me for a wallet. And of course I'm not US and it wouldn't allow me. Only yesterday did I notice when I now click open one, it goes straight into Cash App as I have a local version of Cash App. And I think 300 million roughly Twitter users. So if there is a way that even a percentage of that starts to get into the Satoshi reward system value, I think it'll begin to go mainstream. Now, very quickly, where can people get the Fountain app? Tell them where they can go and try it.
3: So you can download Fountain on iOS or Android. It's live on uh, both of those app stores. And if you're a podcaster that wants to set up your podcast to receive Bitcoin Lightning through Value for Value, All you have to do on Fountain is find your show on Fountain, click the lightning bolt on your show page within the Fountain app, and there's a big yellow button that just says claim podcast. And if you hit that button, you'll just need to put in the owner email address that's in your RSS feed, just so that we know that you have uh, control over that feed. And from there, we work with Adam and Dave at the Podcast Index to just update your value block from there. So it's really simple, one-click process, and then you can start asking your listeners to send you some sats.
2: Amazing. Oscar, congratulations once again. Look forward to the next big update from you. Speak to you soon, mate.
3: Amazing. Thanks so much, Sam.
2: Pleasure.
0: Oscar Murray from Fountain. You can download Fountain today on both iOS and on Android. Anywhere in the world. Amazing. It works anywhere in the world. Who would have thought it? Uh, And you can give that a go. Listen to this podcast on there and you'll see all kinds of exciting things about uh, streaming sats and about boosts too. And Castos has released a new feature, which also enables all of its podcasters to earn Bitcoin from listeners. It's one of the first podcast hosts to build in support for value as well. So if you're on Castos, if you're hosting on Castos, then you can add the Bitcoin information into there and away you go too. And I think the difference, though, between Castos and Fountain is that Castos has enabled a space for you to type in your Bitcoin node information. So that sort of thing. But what Fountain has done is they've gone the whole hog. So they've given you a proper podcaster wallet, which includes all of that stuff. So it's a very different thing. So many congratulations to Oscar for doing that. And it's uh, great to uh, hear from him.
2: Now, you had a report which I thought was really good to juxtapose to all of this integration with Cash and uh, Fountain app. It was a report from Mumbler uh, that was released in Spain where they looked at how podcasters are monetizing. What was the report about, James?
0: Yeah, so it's a report looking at how different podcasts in Spain, so Spanish language, obviously, but different podcasts in Spain are earning money or not, as the case may be. 47% of people say that they're not earning money from their podcast, but quite a lot of people are from all kinds of things like selling their own services to sponsorship and advertising and so on and so forth. Just a lot of really useful information around podcasters and monetizing of all of that from uh, Mumbler, which is a, a Spanish company, and it was kind of them to have got in touch with the Pod News and given us an English uh, translation in there as well. But yeah, if you want to have a peek at that, you will find it a couple of days ago in the Pod News uh, newsletter.
2: Yeah, the reason why I found it interesting was how they're making money from their podcast. And if you juxtapose that back to what we were talking about with Satoshi's and value for Value, how long Mm. it'll be before podcasts are simply all that other stuff, that selling Casper mattresses and DAI and advertising, I can't be bothered with it. Or... Well, the big podcasts still sell advertising, but the long tail focus on just building small network communities.
0: Yeah, I think I'm a big fan of not uh, diving into a binary idea here and it must be one or the other. I think the value for value absolutely fits in as well as advertising. I think that advertising has a place. I think that sponsorship has a place. And I think the value for value has a place. And actually, they can coexist if you want them to. You can choose one or the other if you want to do that as well. But I think the advertising model is tried and tested and value for value is actually tried and tested. Just ask Adam Curry about that. I think anything that offers creators choice in how they uh, produce their content is a good thing. So really excited to hear that, you know, the future isn't just selling Casper mattresses. The future is all kinds of other things in there as well.
2: And we're not sponsored by Casper mattress, just to be clear.
0: No, we're not. We're sponsored by Buzzsprout, though, and Buzzsprout are jolly good. Looking forward to seeing them at Podcast Movement, and also looking forward to seeing this year's Podcasting Hall of Fame inductees, which will be unveiled.
2: Yeah, they unveiled uh, yesterday at 9am uh, Eastern Time. And who was in the Hall of Fame, James?
0: Oh, lots of exciting people in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Ginger Campbell, who is the host of Brain Science, Mark Maron, who does WTF. What's that for, with Mark Maron? I know that's not what. <laughs> What it stands for. <laughs>
2: I thought that was quite clever if it was. <laughs>
0: but I think it should. What's that for? With Mark got married. Michaela Matthews, who is host of Side Hustle Pro. Dr. Emily Morse, who is host of Sex with Emily and CEO of Chick Flicks Productions. Um, Dave Slusher. Now, it said in the release that he is host and producer of Evil Genius Chronicles. I will tell you that Dave Slusher was the first podcaster to say the word podcast in a podcast. Oh. Uh, according to my uh, my research. So Dave Slusher knows a thing or two about this world. He started podcasting uh, in 2004 and has been doing it ever since. Uh, also, Glyn Washington, who's producer of uh, Snap Judgment, Molly Wood, who I used to listen to a long time ago on CNET's uh, buzz out loud. She's now working uh, on this week in, in startups. And finally, uh, a very nice man, a proud beard owner and pipe owner, the host of podcast pontifications and CEO of simpler media productions, Evo Terra.
2: Yeah, I caught up with him yesterday just to say congratulations and find out what he felt having got his Hall of Fame entry. I'm Honored. I've got one of the new Hall of Fame inductees. Friend of the show. Truly wonderful. It's Evo Terra. Hello. How are you?
5: Fine, Sam. Fine. Thanks for having me on here. The funny thing is I used to be sent out into the Hall quite a bit as a student, but being inducted into the Hall of Fame is quite an honor.
2: Take that back to the teacher. Exactly. He talks too much. He'll never make anything of it. Now look at it. (laughs)
5: doesn't apply himself, can't stay focused, wants to talk nonstop, tries to make everybody laugh. Hey, look what I got. When did you find out? I got the announcement um, this morning, obviously, as everybody else did here in the States when the embargo dropped at 9 a.m. Eastern time. But I got a phone call from them a couple of weeks back. And and really, the the reason the phone call was to say, are you coming to the event? I don't think the award gifting was uh, predicated on your attendance or not i think they were saying if not can you shoot a video but i said luckily i i've already purchased a ticket to the event so good news i will actually be there to pick up my piece of acrylic in person well james and i will be out there with you as well so we look forward to it it'll be fun to meet uh in person for the first time i'm looking forward to that Indeed. Now, what does it mean to be in the Hall of Fame? So I'm pretty stoked because as I said in my episode of podcast pontifications, which I've decided to release tomorrow, because not everybody can go to the award ceremony. It makes me sound a little bit like a dirtbag here, but I'm not the kind of guy that actually seeks out awards. I'm not that way in podcasting. I was never that way when I ran an agency. In fact, the agencies that I worked at, we had a policy that we would not submit to awards because we wanted it to be about the work itself and not about the accolades that we get so that's something I've carried with me for a while. But at the same time, I'm incredibly honored. I've been doing this for a long time. and to be recognized by my peers, many of which who've also been doing it for a long time, is almost overwhelming. just to to, to look at the list of people who are in there already and to know that some of them said, this guy's efforts in podcasting is worth having that accolade to his name.
2: Now, What do you think is going to be happening this year, 2022, in podcasting? It's early enough in the year. Let's get Evo Terra's view on that.
5: Like every year, this is the year podcasting. We've been saying that for the longest time, but it it continues to feel that there's so much opportunity. Last year was a big mergers and acquisition year. I don't think 2022 is going to be any less of that. In fact, for the rumblings that I'm hearing out there, I think it's going to be more. So we're going to keep seeing large companies swinging large bags of money around and entering the space or, or conglomerating the space. And that's both good and bad for all of podcasting. I But I tend to like it as a good thing. Change always comes with its, its challenges. But I think it's a good thing because that will continue to put the spotlight on podcasting and hopefully in ways that continue to bring more people into podcasting. We'll have to wait and see what the numbers come out from Edison Research this year, but we haven't cracked that 30% number in the States, at least, the people who listen on a regular weekly basis. So I'm hopeful that we'll see more people coming into the space as the, as more attention is poured on it from these big mergers and acquisitions.
2: My big bet with James is that Netflix will buy Spotify.
5: That's one of many ideas that I've heard floated around there. Google, will they do something in podcasting worthwhile or not? How many times have we said that? But I don't know, maybe it's finally the time for YouTube to do something. I think the people that run YouTube are a little different than the regular Googlers. And I think they see all the attention of podcasting that's taking place. So they may come in and make a big change. I'm always puzzled And I've been puzzled about this since the beginning of podcasting, why Audible, which is now owned by Amazon, doesn't take a bigger stake. Podcasting. Audible done what Apple did with iTunes back in 2005, they would clearly be the default standard because they already had a spoken word mobile platform. And the fact that they don't do more always puzzles me. So I'm not counting... Amazon slash Audible out of making uh, a next great big push and flipping things upside down.
2: The other interesting thing that I think for 22, and I've just interviewed Oscar Mary and uh, Gigi as well, is about the value for value Satoshi payments, micropayment systems. Mm -hmm. It was exciting to see Cash App supporting the Lightning Network last night. And it's been exciting to see how that's already integrated straight into Twitter now. So one quick access to wallets. I think if the 300 million odd people who use Twitter, even a, a nice slither of that, maybe 5% can get their heads around creating a digital wallet. And instead of giving you a heart or a like or a retweet, giving you some stats, I think that's a great step in hopefully making pod fade go away. Podcasters who create something, but get frustrated that there's no engagement or interaction or monetization. None of us really want to sell Casper mattresses.
5: I'm encouraged by that too. I am not a crypto bro. I get it a little bit. I have spent hundreds of the dollars on crypto, right? Not, not anything more than that over my time. I like the idea of value for value. To me, the biggest barrier is getting people who are not crypto bros to get on board and this is not for the faint of heart it takes work from both sides from the podcaster side or from the podcast listener side to do something so seeing apps like i know the fountain's released some new stuff coming on there's a bunch of others that are now making it a much easier onboarding process when it's as easy as giving someone a, a paypal payment or signing up for a patreon account or clicking that tip button as you mentioned in Twitter right now, when I, when it's that simple and it's that integrated, I think that is an engagement some people do more often. Say, yes, I would like to show my love to that podcaster there. Now, will there be enough of them that do that? There is still the 99-1 rule that says 90% of your audience won't do anything, 9% mm-hmm. maybe will, and 1% will do it. So if you're a podcaster with 100 listeners, which is around the average number of listeners the average podcast has, uh, that means Will give you some boost. Yeah, that mean to keep from pod fading? I don't really know, but nonetheless, I am encouraged by making it easier to access, uh, this form of listener support. And maybe not the head, maybe if only 1% of the head
2: get it, but I think if you're a small podcaster and, and you get that engagement back, it, it reminds me of blogging in the day when you blogged, just getting a comment in your blog feed gave you that extra juice to go write your next post because you, you thought, my God, I've just. Sweated tears and blood over this thing, and someone's actually read it and giving me something back. I think that yeah. may be just the requirement of it rather than it's my retirement fund, but it could be just you know what that's just a nice pat on the back. Thank you so much for letting me know you're listening, and I'm on to my next episode.
5: I remember back when Twitter first hit the scene uh, a few months into it, one of its benefits was quite often you'd write that blog post and you'd check the next day and you've got a big goose egg for comments. But yeah. back then, we're talking 2006, you could put a tweet out and within 10 minutes, you get a heart. Yeah, You get maybe somebody who retweet it, even with a small audience. So if, if we podcasters and more importantly, the podcast app makers can figure out a way to provide that sort of a feedback mechanism to just so you know, people are actually listening because you don't know that today. You only know that from your download numbers, which don't mean listens. You can log into Apple or you can log into Spotify and get that. But even that's only a, a sliver of your of the information and it's tied to that platform. But if you could know overall, people are continuing to get what you want to say. I think that helps podcasters uh, keep going. And also help refine your show. If putting this kind of content out gets me more kudos, gets me more woofy, whatever word you want to use, then that's the way I will structure my show. That's hard to do when you get one piece of feedback a month on a show. Now, with the Hall of Fame, what do you get? Do you get a plaque? Do you get a badge? What have you got for Hall of Fame? I I get a Learjet and a lifetime supply of cookies. No, I have no idea what I get, actually. About half of the recipients from prior years are friends of mine because I've been in this space for so stinking long. I know they've got a plaque and we get to be up on stage and do some stuff. But beyond that, as far as what the other bonus pieces we get for being that other than bragging rights i'm not sure i guess i will find out when and or if something arrives in the mail or when i'm on stage at podcast movement
2: so if you happen to see evo Terra, remember ladies and gentlemen you need to bow now you'll be wearing ermine and a golden scepter with a microphone on the top that's how you'll recognize him
5: yep i'll be just like chris rock's character in fifth element ruby rye ruby b <laughs> On a more serious note here, if anyone wants to listen to your brilliant podcast, where can they go? Check out Podcast Pontifications. That's probably the biggest thing that I'm doing these days. It is designed for podcasters like yourselves. We talk about the future and the present of podcasting and discuss ways that we can, all of us podcasters, work together to make podcasting better.
3: See you in LA.
5: Thanks, Sam. The very nice Evo Terra. He's promised me a beer, or
0: he's promised that I can buy him a beer at Podcast Movement Evolution. <laughs> That's more like um, it. <laughs> yeah, I don't really know which way round, but anyway, however it works. And so looking forward to seeing him there. And if you want to see the Hall of Famers being given all of their fancy trophies and everything else, it's presented by Libsyn and it's on March the 25th at Podcast Movement Evolution's in los angeles you don't need a ticket for podcast movement evolutions you can just rock up i believe and uh, watch so that's all very good and of course you can also watch online too we'll be watching
2: live james won't we we're
0: watching live there yes i'll be giving all of the uh, inductees a big uh, round of applause and everything else and uh, hopefully trying to record a little bit for the pod news podcast as well
2: charts everyone loves a chart don't they james there's a lot of this week Edison research has released the top 50 us podcasts for 2021 who's in the list well
0: uh, amazingly enough the joe rogan experience is number one and in fact the top five haven't changed so what edison research do is they release this report every quarter It contains the last 12 months' worth of podcast listening. And the way that they do it is they ask people every single week, what podcast are you listening to? And they end up with a great big list of very popular podcasts in there, from number five to number one. At five, Stuff You Should Know. At four, This American Life. At three, Crime Junkie. At two, The Daily And number one is the Joe Rogan experience. So that was nice seeing. But then there was another chart, PodTrack, who release a chart every month or so, which is participating publishers only. And it shows that iHeartRadio is number one for podcasts. And the number one is The Daily, which is uh, all very exciting. And NPR number two, uh, and at number three, and NBC News up at number four, at the Ben Shapiro Show at five. So you've got that chart, which has uh, gone on uh, as well, and then you've got the Pod Chaser twenty-five,
2: a list of the hottest up-and-coming podcasts. So. Come on then, James, who's the hottest and upcoming podcast in the Podchaser 25?
0: I asked how they worked it out, and uh, Families Who Kill is the number one show. Never heard of it, but uh, maybe that's the point of uh, how all of this works. It's worked out by a proprietary scoring system. Uh, Podchaser have listening stats from a podcast app, or maybe a couple of podcast apps. They won't tell me what the podcast apps are. The only thing that they will say is 20 million users. But I don't know whether that's 20 million users in the US or across the world. But they also have, though, another 29 data points, which they wouldn't tell me what any of those are. Apparently, some of them is something to do with social media. So maybe if you're followed on social media a little bit more, then you might get a little bit higher in this chart and blah, blah, blah. But I could get very little information about any of this. And they're called Hottest Up and Coming Podcasts. I went through the list. One of the podcasts in that Podchaser 25 was released only uh, a couple of uh, weeks ago right at the end of uh, January some of the other charts in the podchaser 25 were released at the beginning of December so i'm not quite sure how that works in terms of these charts as well and i'm just i don't i don't know i'm just looking at podchaser and i'm thinking there's an awful lot of black boxes there where they're not telling anybody how anything works and i'm just a little bit dubious about the whole thing mm. I thought I'd go and, and have a look. I can see the data for PodNews in there. So I thought well, that'll be interesting seeing what that data shows and how many listeners that it thinks that PodNews has. It thinks that PodNews does 25,000 downloads a month, except PodNews does 100,000 downloads a month. So that's wrong by a factor of four. Again, I'm, I'm just slightly worried that they've got this tech, which isn't probably tuned particularly well and they're diving into something which um, just seems a bit proprietary and a bit black box and if they're not telling us quite how it's worked out then i don't know i'm just slightly dubious but maybe i'm just being miserable about the whole thing and maybe they're doing a fantastic thing for the industry i
2: don't know have you got over the january blues yet you not quite finished with them have you <laughs>
0: Ah, how dare you? What a thing to say. Uh, It's it's all this talking about Joe Rogan, that's what it is. I'm really hoping that we're not going to talk about Joe Rogan. We pushed it
2: all the way down to the bottom as far as Uh, we could, but I think we have to. The boy likes to be in the news. He is the number one, as we just said, all over the Edison research. You can see why Spotify love him as well. You had an exclusive this week, James, for a report about what's going on with the Joe Rogan controversy. What was the exclusive report about?
0: Yeah, it was exclusive data and really good to see this uh, information because it really made you think. It came from Signal Hill Insights. It's data from both Americans and Canadians, and I think that's important. When you look at the Canadian data, 53% of people say that Spotify has a responsibility for editorial control that is considerably lower, only 40% of people for Americans, but that's still the most popular choice for Americans but it's really polarised. If you have a look in the middle of people who really haven't made a decision one way or the other, should Spotify have editorial control? Should it be Joe Rogan? Should Joe Rogan be able to release anything he wants? Then there's a little bit of information, then there's really not that much middle ground. It's either, I really believe that Joe Rogan is wrong and that Spotify should be exerting editorial control, or on the other side, Joe Rogan can feature whoever he wants. And that's particularly strong in terms of Americans. 37% of all Americans say that Joe Rogan can say whatever he wants because of that whole freedom of speech thing, which is very much part of the American culture, but as you can see here, not part of the Canadian culture. So I just thought it was really interesting data from Signal Hill Insights. And there's a bunch more data in the report that they kindly shared with us as well. And I think it just goes to show that actually, A, it's really polarised, but also B, Don't go thinking that everybody wants freedom of speech, because that's definitely not the case. And don't go thinking that everybody just wants Spotify to editorially control this. Because again, that's definitely not the case either. It's very much a very polarised view on that.
2: Sorry, are you talking about myopic Americans again?
0: Oh, well, good Lord. Mr Sethi, do you want to get into <laughs> Los
2: Angeles in a couple of weeks' time? I certainly um, won't be mentioning that to the border control man, no.
0: I, I don't know whether it's uh, myopic Americans. I don't think that's particularly fair. But I do think that there is a definite difference in terms of culture. And I think that's where... You know, we have found it difficult to talk about this because we have different cultures. We are not American. And I think that is the big thing. The other thing that came out of this is if you listen to the Joe Rogan experience, then you completely side with Joe Rogan. Absolutely you do. Um, the only one in five of Joe Rogan listeners think that Spotify should have any responsibility at all whereas Joe Rogan listeners four out of five nearly basically say absolutely Joe Rogan should invite whoever he wants on and they should say whatever they like so again really interesting seeing that sort of side of it as well
2: I don't have an issue with Joe Rogan having any guest on and saying what he likes I think it's up to him I, I was listening to Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway and they were saying look this is not cancel culture, which Daniel Eck was trying to label it to. This is just about f- simple facts. This is misinformation, and we can't be going around talking about certain things, informing people wrongly when they're not facts, and that's all they were saying. Correct the facts, or, or but you can't call it cancel culture.
0: And playing devil's advocate, of course, it's not necessarily misinformation, it's just different information, and it's information that we don't necessarily hear too much in uh, the media. I should also say, by the way, that this data is prior to the video appearing of Joe Rogan using the N-word more than 24 times. And there was also a video that uh, came out with Rogan joking about sexual assault as well, which isn't uh, necessarily the brightest thing. So maybe thoughts may have changed uh, since uh, that. But yeah, as I say, I it is interesting seeing that basically the concept of freedom of speech is actually quite a polarizing concept. And I went onto the uh, podcastindex.social the other day to say we might want to be quite careful about promoting podcastindex as the bastion of free speech because 40% of Americans don't like that idea. And that went down like a bucket of sick. But nevertheless, it was <laughs> nice, it was worthwhile doing um 70 joe rogan episodes disappeared from spotify last weekend and the reason why is that joe rogan wanted them gone at least according to daniel eck daniel eck has given some guilty money 100 million dollars for audio content from historically marginalized groups you don't do that unless you're feeling slightly guilty. Interesting to see that. But he then adds that he doesn't believe that silencing Joe is the answer. Uh, and then Rumble offered uh, Rogan $100 million to move his show to the platform, which was a very clever tweet from uh, Rumble. Of course, Joe Rogan won't do it, but they've uh, earned significantly out of the um, the marketing uh, and the PR of doing that. I was going to say, well done, Rumble. Although, of course, l- looking at the types
2: of people who are on Rumble, maybe not. <laughs> yeah. It'd be qu- quite nice to put them all together. In one pot and ignore it.
0: There's an awful lot of uh, right-leaning people. Although I got into trouble for even saying that Rumble was right-leaning, and and I replied with the Wikipedia article, and I said, "Have a look who's on Rumble, mate. Have a look who's on Rumble, and then come back to me." <laughs> Bless him. I, I I think this week I've just found the whole Rogan thing wear and a bit tedious that actually people are so polarised around it and they're so miserable that they will just go and and complain about absolutely anything. Somebody complaining that I called Rumble a right-leaning video service. When you have a look at the type of people who are on it, hello. But unfortunately, it seems that the world is getting even more polarised, and that's one of the uh, uh, unfortunate side effects.
2: Yeah, Pandora's box has now been opened about platforms and publishers in podcasting
0: and unlike pandora actually people are listening to it yeah there is always that
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh moving on yes Edison research and ad results media are to debut their super listeners report in a webinar oh coming up next week february the 16th it focuses on people who listen to five or more hours of podcast weekly what's this one james
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to this. Marshall Williams from Ad Results Media and uh, Tom Webster, friend of the show from uh, Edison Research. I'm assuming he's a friend of the show. I have an interview uh, request in for that because I would like to learn a little bit more. These are people who listen to a lot of podcasts, so they will have really good views on how much advertising there is in podcasts and are you getting bored or irritated with the same ads all the time and all that kind of stuff. So, very much looking forward to hearing what they end up saying. Hopefully, we'll have Marshall and Tom on the podcast next week. And if they're not, then you'll know that their PR team have declined us. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> that's
2: probably how it works. Now, moving on, a couple of stories that uh, I thought were interesting you wrote about Audrey has launched paid promotions for podcasters, a way to promote your show in others. Uh, And they've got more than 50 shows that are already taking part.
0: Yeah, it's a really good idea, this. So you pay $10 or something and you can promote your show probably with a little uh, trailer or something in someone else's podcast. This is a clever idea that is actually very different to advertising. It's actually going and finding a podcast which is similar to yours. So I think that's very smart. Audrey.io is the place to. Meanwhile, Rephonic has launched a new tool. They will show you how many subscribers and followers you have in various uh, players and uh, services, which is uh, quite cool. Not the massive big ones, but some of the uh, 1%, 2% market share podcast apps. So for example, it shows me that I have 1.7,000 subscribers or followers in Podcast Addict, a whole 164 in CastBox. And a whole nine in the podcast app, whatever that is. Some quite interesting data. And, of course, that's uh, data which is uh, available for everybody. So pretty cool stuff from uh, RePhonic, I think.
2: Yeah, and I got in touch with a new company called Podcast Hawk. Their CMO, Stuart Townsend, contacted me. They've got a company. It's in Manchester in the UK. It's very similar to Podchaser Pro, RePhonic, and Audrey. Uh, And they describe Podcast Hawk as a search engine for podcasts. You find the ones you want to be on. We get you access to the host's contact details. You can email them manually or you can build an inbuilt campaign. And yeah, he says it's very similar to also another company I've not really used myself. Listen Notes. Have you used Listen Notes yourself, James?
0: Yes, I have. And Listen Notes is a pretty good service. So yeah, it'd be interesting to find out what uh, Stuart Townsend said from Podhawk.
4: Who or what is Podcast It's Simply, we're a platform, a SaaS-based platform uh, that automates the process of getting you booked on podcasts. So we save you that time of go to search and reach out to become a guest on a podcast. That's it in in a nutshell.
2: Is that a problem? I mean, is that an issue? How, how did that come
4: about from you guys? It Came about from two angles. Ray, our founder, he wanted to get some podcasts to build his brand out. He's got a language-based business, and he's, I want to promote my business. So, last year, or maybe a year, two years ago, I can't remember which time-wise. Now, he had an itch, and it was like, I want to get on these podcasts. Be simple spent a day going through Google, iTunes, try to find ones that were active and then getting the contact details to reach out to those podcasts. And and within that day, we we managed to reach out to three or four podcasts. So being a developer, he thought I'll build a solution to this problem. And that's where it started. Literally that I came in from a different angle. I wanted to find out all the guests and see how they were associated. And that's how we came together.
2: Okay. Does this work in the way that I can come to you guys and say, look, I'm in sector X. I want to reach all the podcasts in that sector. Tell me who they are. Is that how it works?
4: In the sense of you would do the work. We're not an agency. We're a platform. Okay. But So you were coming to the platform and we've got the ability to filter the podcast by category, dates, live, et cetera, all those sort of things and keywords. So if you were looking for uh, marketing yeah, go and find all the podcasts and marketing and we'll return all those results to you.
2: Do you take the standard RSS categorization or do you
4: enhance the data feed? So at the moment we're taking the standard categorization, we're bringing some more data in as well, but also we have a team of human beings, actual people, not People, what are they? not AI. I know, not AI, not ML, not, no other acronym. And we go through the top podcasts alive, live basically, because there's so many that aren't live and we're starting to add data to our own data. So languages is one element, is the category correct, all those sort of things. So we're cleaning up the data, mm-hmm. but you can imagine at the moment, we've got 2 million shows in the database and we've got another three to 4 million coming in there, plus all the episodes, but. It's going to take a long time.
2: So, who's your competitors? Who in the market space can people anchor themselves to?
4: Yeah, it's interesting because up until about 18 months ago, this wasn't a problem. So, you've got Podchaser Pro. So, they came from a basis of being a sort of two sided marketplace. And now they have a product similar to ours yeah. in the sense of you can go and find the contact details of a podcast and show. You've got a company called Raphonic. They've come about in the last 12 months, similar aspects to ourselves. And then you've got listen notes, which anybody in this industry will know as a database of podcasts has been around a while now. And again, has the contact details and all sort of show details and that sort of thing in their database that you can pull through an API or make a request and get.
2: So the other question that's going through my mind is, are you using any of the podcast index tags? So if it's a search engine, you know, if I want to find the person Would you be using the person tag or if I want to find the location, would you use the location at
4: the end of this quarter for those that are in sales or for us normal people, the end of March, we will be. So that's our project this quarter. That's how we've kicked off. So we've built the functionality over the last 12 months. Everything works. You can search, you can do all campaigns and stuff. Now we're on a big data exercise. So we're bringing all that richness of a podcast index.
2: Now. How do I use the product? Do I sign up? Is it free? What's the cost model?
4: So seven-day trial and you get 10 credits. Ten credits equates to 10 contact details of a host. And you log into the platform and get started from there. And then we have plans starting from $39 up to $79 per month with rolling credits around that. And think of credits as just a contact person's details around that. And in some of the Higher plans. We have a campaign feature, which is our differentiator, which is our automation tool. You build campaigns to reach out to you on shows. And we do that in the background. It all happens. You don't have to follow up. We have a three or four day drip campaign. And that is separate from credits. Credits is access to the, the contact show host campaigns and emails and searches. Any other activity is, is all part of everybody's.
2: So you said you're a platform, not an agency. Is the goal eventually to move to become an agency? So could someone say, look, I want to reach out and get my CEO onto this vertical sector transport, or or let's say, fast moving goods. And you go, no worries. We know the top 10 podcasts. We can give you the data. We can give you the analytics. You can cherry pick the ones you want. And through us, we'll get you as a guest onto those shows for reach.
4: Not necessarily we'll become an agency because Ray's come from that background. I've been involved in agencies before and it's a challenge and painful. But we do have clients at our agencies and we'll have uh, again, some functionality coming out in Q2, Q3. That is designed for agencies to have access to the platform, and give them all the user access around that. But that's where a lot of our testing has come from. We've had people that are book authors based out in a forest in Canada that have limited technology knowledge. And then we've got agencies that are using the platform to save them time and reduce that process of searching and costs.
2: So let's say it's Podland, for example. Do we have to do anything as Podland with you to claim anything or do anything? How's the relationship work? No,
4: no. So not at the moment. We, we bring the data in from podcast index or from iTunes or the other data sources. We then marry to it, external API data sources. So there could be social data mapped against that, web data backlinks, that sort of thing. But as a host of a podcast no. as we move forward, you know, this year will reveal those podcasts as pages we can make a claim. And there's other platforms that do that. There's lots of other platforms that have that available, but what we want to do is to make that available and then add data to it and give people the capabilities to, to own that page themselves.
2: Okay. Fast forward 12 months, where will podcast talk be
4: what's, what will you be delivering? So the goal is to be the de facto platform to um, automate the process of getting booked on podcasts. So giving individual users the ability to build up their personal brand and share their knowledge. The creator space is a great one for that. Or moving up to large agencies that have sets of clients they want to reach out to and and get them on podcasts or PR agencies. And in the back of that, we want to be the de facto data standard. So we have a thing called the Podcast Hawk Score, um, which rates podcasts based on the different metrics that are live and it's ever changing. And as we bring more data in, that will get plumbed into that. So we want that score to be recognized and published externally as well. Brilliant. So remind everyone very quickly, where can they go
2: and how can they Try and test podcast hawk.
4: Yep. Yeah, so go to podcasthawk.com that's P O D C A S T H A W K.com, uh, podcasthawk.com. If you want to reach out to me, I'm Stuart at podcasthawk.com. I'm spot the Scottish way. I'm spot the awkward way. So it's S T E W A R T. Love to get feedback, love to get people's awareness of it and just go and sign up for a trial. There's no credit card needed. It's it's 10 credits for free start to test the platform and start to reach out to some hosts and get some of those benefits of what we talk about is the benefits of SEO. Once you're on a podcast, you become part of their community and their outreach and you're getting side benefits of that. Guest podcasting is the new guest blogging. Stuart Townsend, thank you so much, mate. Good to see you. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Sam. Good to see you again.
0: Stuart Townsend from Podcast Hawk. There's some uh, loads of information on the website as well and some very pretty pictures, I should say, alongside all of the uh, tools that you need to be a rock star podcast guest, which is a smart thing. Yeah, worthwhile uh, taking a peek at the website's at podcasthawk.com.
2: Now, you've got another exclusive on Pod News, James. It's Audio Chucks' new podcast, The Deck, has been accused of copying a similar show from May 2020. You spoke to one of the co-hosts. What was the story, James?
0: Yeah, so this is a podcast that AudioChuck, that's Ashley Flowers' uh, podcast company, they've just launched it. It's called The Deck. It's a really good idea. It focuses on playing cards that are given to US prisoners, and those playing cards contain information about unsolved crimes because, of course, people talk in prison, And you end up finding out uh, rather more about your cellmates and other things. And it could be that people know a little bit more about these cold cases. So that's why the information is put on uh, playing cards. And The Deck is a podcast which is focusing about those particular cases. And if that sounds familiar, then it should, because Dealing Justice was a podcast that was launched last year, which is exactly that too. And what Dealing Justice have been saying is that the deck basically have rocked up, stolen their idea, stolen their format, and have used a format for their idea without actually working together with them. It's not the first time that Ashley Flowers has... Been accused of uh, plagiarism. Crime Junkie was aclu- accused of p- of plagiarism in 2019 after basically copying other people's work. And it, from talking to the dealing justice people, it seems as if that's happening again. I have reached out to Audio Chuck. They haven't responded. They're very aware of. The story in pod news, they haven't responded to that either. There's just an awful lot of really obvious similarities in between these two uh, shows. And it does seem a bit of a shame for a large company with lots of money to come in and basically go, oh, see that idea? We'll steal that and uh, take that and uh, use that a little bit further, which may or may not be what they've done. But it certainly, there seems to be quite a lot of evidence pointing to the fact that they did know about this particular podcast in the first place.
2: I wanted to pick your brains on uh, a similar topic, James. I, I got asked a question earlier this week by somebody and I didn't know the answer. I thought, I'll come to the font of all knowledge. Could you not find it? If, for example, open yes. RSS, right, let's say you wanted to take because this happened on Spotify and I think I know the answer but I want to check so let's say I wanted to take Ricky Gervais's podcast right it's not locked and I wanted to put it onto another platform and I wanted to put DAI ads either side of his podcast now I don't own the license or copyright to Ricky Gervais's podcast am I legally allowed to put ads around it though using DAI
0: no Because it's not your copyright and it's not your stuff to monetize. So no, you absolutely can't. The difficulty with anything which is based on RSS is that by its very nature, it is open. And you can put a lock tag in there and a lock tag is fine. And if you're a good podcast host, you will recognize that lock tag and not allow somebody to import that particular podcast. But there are plenty of podcast hosts out there that don't. And so therefore, what you do there.
2: Now, of course, one of the questions you mentioned, the lock tag. So native RSS has no concept of a lock tag. It's part of the podcast index namespace extensions. So 90% of podcasts still are native RSS. So is it the fault of the hosts and the fault of the apps when probably most of the RSS they ingest doesn't have a lock tag.
0: The lock tag is becoming more and more used. Libsyn rolled out support for it a couple of weeks ago. Buzzsprout has had support for it for a while. It seems a relatively easy thing to do, but you also have other podcast hosts who I've talked to who say it's a complete waste of time. Why on earth would we do that? Because it's trivial to get past. And... Yes, there's absolutely that point too. It is difficult, but at the end of the day, it's just putting something in front of people to basically say, yeah, no, you shouldn't be importing that particular podcast somewhere else. That's a bad idea.
2: Now, you and I have disagreed on this next item I just wanted to cover, the license tag, which is part of the also part of the namespace extension. As users like in Fountain and with other apps start to create user-generated content snips does it as well for example with podline I don't think we we're worried about people snipping parts of our content or clipping them up and and sharing them but let's say you were a more famous podcaster somebody like a Ricky Gervais again whose comedy is his copyright he might not want someone to be able to clip or snip them up just like Locke Shouldn't we start to include things like Creative Commons licences with podcasts as well as copyright?
0: I don't think it's a case of Creative Commons licences. I think it's a case of are clips allowed in this podcast, yes or no? And having worked for the BBC in the past, they are uh, paranoid about clips of BBC shows being used without context, being used to try and highlight something that they actually weren't. And I think that there is something to be said for that. I think at the end of the day, the creator should be respected. And if a creator turns around and says, I don't want you clipping my show up, thank you very much, then I think there should be a way of signing that in the RSS feed. It still won't stop bad people from doing it if they don't want to, but I do believe that there is something there in terms of respect of creators to end up doing that. I'm not sure that license tags are the the right, to be honest, but I do think that there should be a way for us to basically turn around and say, no, I don't want you clipping this. By the way, no, I don't want you caching this audio as well, because there are plenty of podcasters out there who will be quite happy if you cache the audio. If you can actually allow creators to keep control of their content, I think that's a very wise uh, thing. But as I say, I'm not sure that a license tag necessarily does that.
2: Hmm. Okay. And now for our favourite time of the week, it's Boostergram Corner.
3: Boostergram
0: Corner. It is Boostergram Corner, and next week, in fact for two weeks, I'm uh, out of uh, the house because they are taking the floor to pieces and repainting the floor and sanding the floor and everything else, so we can't be here for two weeks. That's concerning me because I have to turn my umbral off, probably, so we'll see quite what happens. I've been thinking this evening of a way of keeping the internet going, which will keep the umbral going, but that may be having the router in a plastic bag suspended from the ceiling. (laughs) We'll we'll see quite how far that works. But anyway, while we still have them, Boostergram Corner. If you have a boost button on your new podcast app, uh, then you can hit it and uh, send us a message Uh, and a boost if you find value in what you're listening to. First, is a boost for you, Sam, from Dave Jones, 726 sats from...
2: Yeah, it's for me, since he had to endure the devil's advocate this week. Yes. I'd better get an email from you when your umbrella is up and running. Yeah, if yours is going to be off, i better turn mine on. Actually, on this point very quickly, when I spoke to Oscar, he only allows one host to claim the podcast in Fountain. Uh, And I assume, rightly by the way, I assume that you've claimed our podcast, Podland, in Fountain and therefore any sats that come through Fountain will go through to you. Is that true?
0: I haven't claimed it on Fountain, but I have claimed it in the Podcaster Wallet, at Podcast Index, which is the same kind of thing. So yes, but I can add a split. So yes, so as soon as your umbrella is up and running...
2: It's um, on, then I I can, can, I'll give you that.
0: <laughs> it's on now, then I can actually give you a split and you get to see the uh, the boosts as well. So if, you're, if your thing is up and running, then once we've uh, finished recording today, then I will uh, get the, the relevant information and I will uh, stick you in there so that you get half the boosts.
2: There's a plan. There's a plan. And also Fountain's next version is uh, talking about also enabling splits as well within their application. I thought I should mention that as well
0: which is always a good thing. And we got a boost from Fountain this week from a Mr. K Finn. Thank you very much, Kevin. Very kind of you, who, of course, works at Buzzsprout, our sponsor. And he says, my first boost from Fountain. Do you guys see the timestamp when I boost it? And the quick answer is no, but we could. I believe it's in the TLV record. And one of the things that's happening with Helipad over the next month or so is that it's going to look a little bit more exciting and we will be able to see those timestamps if they exist. So that's going to be very exciting. So, Kevin, thank you so much for your boost of 4,401 sats. I'm not quite sure what the numerology is around that, but thank you so much for that. I appreciate it.
2: Yeah. Now we've had one from the Podfather. We had a 333 sats. Add one more three on that, James. That would make sense. What did he say?
0: Uh, He said, yes, legacy apps. Great term. He likes your concept of legacy apps. The podfather himself. Thank you very much, Adam. And both Adam and Dave from the Podcast Index have both sent 6666 sats. It's (laughs) the devil's advocate boost. And they both liked my valiant attempt to play devil's advocate about these moaning minis whittering on about Joe Rogan and uh, just pointing out that all of these musicians have other reasons why they want to uh, go out and shout about Spotify. So there you go. Thank you uh, both for your very kind boosts. I appreciate that. And if you're listening to us on a new podcast app, then great, hit that boost button and send us a message. And if you're not, it's time to get one at newpodcastapps.com. Now you are going to somewhere exciting. What, next week or the week after? Podcast Futures 2022, which is in in Westminster in London somewhere.
2: Yes, I'm hoping to. and A lot of other people I've spoken to are, are hoping to as well. I spoke to or I sent a message to Gerard saying, I still haven't had any confirmation. He said, it's on its way. So hopefully for February the 22nd, yeah, there'll be a few of us in London meeting up. It'll be quite nice.
0: Yeah, it looks really good. Uh, I'm on that list. I, I can tell you, I'm not going, and as far as I'm aware, I'm not actually speaking either. But still, there we are, here to be on the list for as a speaker. Um, not sure that's going to happen, but anyway, it should be worthwhile in uh, February, and it's being run by Podcast Radio. And staying in uh, London, the Podcast Show 2022 tickets go on sale on Tuesday next week. They are promising 350 world-class speakers inspirational content and more than 120 industry brands by day and by night a week-long program of live podcast stage shows including this very podcast which is very exciting, and possibly we'll get a live pod news as well, because I I, I need to record it, so I may as well <laughs> record it at the beginning of a recording of Podland. You can sign up to the uh, newsletter of uh, the podcast today for the latest. Pod News is a media partner, I should tell you. They are at thepodcastshowlondon.com. That's thepodcastshowlondon.com, and it would be fantastic to see you in my...
2: Birth City, as I believe I have to call it these days, in May. And we will also be hosting a Podland drink up in the same time frame.
0: We will. Yes, we may as well spend some of these Bitcoins wisely. So, yes, we're all going to the pub. Uh, I believe that Brian Barletta from the Sounds Profitable podcast is coming as well. So that should be good. Uh, yes, we will give you emails and things like that to get in, in touch with us so you can find out where that is in future episodes so looking forward to uh, drinking some beer while we're there some proper british slightly
2: warm a bit flat beer <laughs> that'll be nice it's an acquired taste, and we will be announcing a sponsor for that drink as well.
0: Excellent! I'm glad you know more about that than I do. <laughs> Shock <laughs> on your face! <laughs> excellent. I'm always a fan of sponsors paying for alcohol. That's always the best plan of sponsors. Album there's a plan, or always a plan. While we're in uh, LA as well, and the winners of the iHeart Podcast Awards 2022 were announced. I notice you can watch that again on YouTube. The winner of the Podcast of the Year was You're Wrong About, which is an excellent. Podcast, and the people I'm watching it with virtually were very excited that they ended up winning as well. And Sam and I will also be at Podcast Movement Evolutions in LA in March. I am very much looking forward to it. I've just been uh, filling out. Uh, Some of the forms, getting myself an international COVID certificate and everything else. Still trying to understand exactly what I need to do in terms of tests, but I'm getting there. So that's a good thing. So uh, hoping to uh, do that.
2: So what's been uh, happening for you this week on Podlands? I had a great week and then I went and blew it. So I had some cleaning liquid in my bag next to my laptop. Never do the two things together. Uh, oh. It leaked all over my MacBook Air. And now some might say that was deliberate because I've been in the market for an M1 MacBook for a while, toodled along to the Apple Store on Saturday and picked up one. So I have a brand-new MacBook Air. And Brian Barletta, friend of the show, was asking about what he should get next. Brian, MacBook Pro M1, very nice.
0: Very nice. Where's your local um, Apple Store? It's, it's not the fancy one in Oxford Street, is it?
2: No, they, they happen to have another one in Reading so it's not too bad and my daughter is very happy because <laughs> she, she will get the repaired MacBook Air. Well there you go well, that's a lovely thing. So James, what's happened for you in Podland this week? I'm glad
0: you asked I discovered today that Pod News is now doing over 100,000 downloads a month which I'm uh, quite excited about, which is good. A lot of that on Smart Speaker News Briefing which is uh, a real opportunity if you're a very small very short podcast. Uh, it's a real good place to be, particularly google's if you can get in there there is a secret of getting in there but unfortunately i'm sworn to secrecy there i did notice uh a couple of other things pocket cast is doing incredibly well i notice for the pod news podcast i'm not quite sure why facebook has 20 listens spotify 27 listens podcasts about podcasts do really badly on spotify and amazon music amazon music has about 27 listens less than spotify amazon music why did they get into podcasting when clearly they're just not driving any uh, traffic really interesting but anyway do so they have a smart speaker that. amazon uh, yeah they oh. do have a smart speaker Funnily enough, I'm in there as well on their News Daily uh, thing as well, their daily briefing as well, and that does virtually no traffic whatsoever either. Hmm. I wonder what the deal is in terms of Amazon and podcasting. It's a fascinating thing, almost as much as the deal is with Google and podcasting. I noticed today that the the Google Play namespace which uh, Google used to support for many years, has been removed from their website completely. So they no longer actually support their own namespace, which is interesting. So I'm gonna dig around uh, that uh, a little bit more and see if I can find anybody who's still working at Google Podcasts and find out what the deal is.
2: Anyway. I have to say, uh, Alexa has flatlined for me. It's become very dull and boring. Anywho, that's it for this week. Indeed, it is. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please follow Podland in your podcast app and on Twitter at Podland News. You can find all our previous shows on the web at www.podland.news.
0: Yes, and if you want daily news, you should get Pod News. The newsletter is free at podnews.net. The podcast can be found in your podcast app.
2: All the stories we've discussed on Podland today are in the show notes. We use chapters and transcripts, and the stories were taken from Pod News.
0: And our music is from Ignite Jingles. We're hosted and sponsored by our good friends at Buzzsprout. Keep listening.